I've been teaching through the book of Revelation. I've been on this a long time. This is uh, actually session 21, and we're on Revelation chapter 11. And uh, I just really, you know, as I've studied this book, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, to understand the book of Revelation, you need to know something about the Old Testament. You need to know a little bit about the New Testament because uh, the book of Revelation is a compilation of old and new together. Uh, somebody said the Old Testament is the new concealed, the New Testament's the old revealed, and then Revelation's a combination of them both. So, so we, we talked about all that at the beginning of our sessions on the, the book of Revelation. Again, the, uh, the Greek word for revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis, and it literally means an unveiling. And what God did uh, for us through the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea back in the first century is just phenomenal. God's literally showed us how things will end. And I don't know that about you, but, you know, as, as we go through week after week, the instability, the challenges we face, the aggravations that 2020 have, have, uh, have brought upon all of us, you know, it's, it's really, really cool to know how things end. And if you know this book, you know how things are going to wind up. You know where we're going. You know what God has planned. And you can kind of see right now uh, the beginning stages of many things that we have taught and will be teaching in the book of Revelation. So uh, perhaps, uh, why don't you throw my, you know, put, my, uh, put my diagram up here. I got a new laser pointer. You can actually see it. Look at that. Uh, something really phenomenal happened yesterday that hasn't happened in a long time. Uh, between Israel and the uh, other uh, nations in the Middle East, and that is there was a, a treaty between United Arab Emirates. I've flown into there many times going through Dubai, United Arab Emirates and Israel, and then also Bahrain and UAE. And um, that was signed yesterday around uh, after the noon hour uh, at the White House. And um, people have said, I know people are wondering, well, does that have anything to do with the end times? Yes and no. Uh, not specifically, it doesn't specifically, but generally it is, it is creating a pattern that we know from Scripture absolutely will be fulfilled. Uh, Middle East peace has been uh, the desire of many of our, our uh, administrations, you know, for a, since, since, since Israel uh, came into being as a nation again in 1948, and it, uh, a peace have been, has been elusive. The Palestinians right beside the Israelis there in their settlements, they have decided in uh, 1979, I read this yesterday, in Khartoum, they decided that they, they, had a, they met together, all of the Arab nations met together and said, we have decided that we will not do anything with Israel, we will never make peace with Israel, and we will have absolutely nothing to do with them financially, with trade, economy, or anything else. We're done with Israel. And yesterday changed all that. So you say, well, what? How's that, how does yesterday, and what happened is called the Abraham Accords, and uh, it was entered into again by these two nations, and say, so, well, what does that do? It opens a door for, for uh, a new way of thinking in the Middle East, and it's created, it's going to create a new way of thinking with the Palestinians. They've always wanted peace with Israel. They've never recognized Israel as a sovereign nation. If you've done, done any flying in the Middle East on any aircraft, you never see the nation of Israel on those little maps that have an airplane on it. You never see the nation of Israel. They got every other nation, but not that one because there's too much consternation around that name Israel. So, uh, but things are changing, and this is, uh, 
It will change the dynamic of the Middle East. Let me say, let me just, I'm watching the clock. If I don't get done, I got next week. Is that okay? Because I need to share this. Um, some things that you may not realize over the last several years, uh, the United States, as I was sharing this with Mir yesterday, the uh, United States has become energy independent for the first time in I think 70-something years. Did you hear what I just said? That is extremely significant. Heretofore, we have... Uh, We've had to acquiesce to a lot of the wishes of the uh, Islamic nations in the Middle East because they had a monopoly on the oil supply worldwide. And uh, if you're as old as I, if you remember in 1974, there was an there was a, a embargo, I think, on oil. And, and I remember as a teenager, man, we had long lines at the gas stations. Y'all remember that? Y'all are there of my age? Yeah. So, you know, they had a monopoly, but that's all changed now. Because that's all changed, these, uh, some of these nations are beginning to wake up and realize that the Palestinians will never make peace with Israel, regardless of, of who's trying to do it, what treaty they bring to the table. And now that uh, this Abraham Accords has come about, they, they're, here's what the uh, Arabic nations are basically saying. We're done with the Palestinians' way of doing things. We need help. Their oil revenues are shrinking. These are some behind-the-scene things that you need to know. Um, again, America is completely energy independent. We export oil. You hear that? that that's a really big deal. That's hugely significant. It's one of the reasons these things happen. And because of that, because we're not buying all those millions of barrels of oil from the Middle East the way we were, we don't need it. Well, there, there's some need there. And they're, they're seeing the need for trade. Their economies are, are they're having problems with their econ- economies. COVID-19 is helping with that. And um, they're just looking for a way to, way to survive. And uh, this peace treaty is becoming appetizing in a way it never has before. So because the UAE and Bahrain entered into that yesterday, again, it's called the Abraham Accords, you say, well, does that fulfill Bible prophecy? Well, yes and no. No, not specifically, but generally speaking, here's, here's what it does. For the first time in my lifetime, uh, it's opened up a door, I think, that hasn't been opened in this way for, and, and here's what these nations are doing. The UAE and Bahrain have said, okay, we're going to have an embassy, we're going to trade uh, ambassadors will have embassies in both nations, and then we're going to um, work out some agreements where we can uh, we can forge some alliances in our economy and do some trade deals together. And and so uh, there there that's a big 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 extrapolate that a little bit deal. And uh, the other Arabic nations now scratching their heads and they're saying, well, you know, if UAE and Bahrain are are, are doing this and it's helping them, I think. Maybe we need to rethink. There's several more that are in the queue to uh, enter into agreements with Israel. Uh, I've read uh, Oman, is that the way you pronounce it? And uh, Sudan um, uh, and several others. Saudi Arabia is even looking at it. And here's the bottom line. In the Bible, in the book of Daniel, there are at least 10 nations that are going to gain together uh, with the man that the Bible calls Antichrist. Uh, who will make an agreement with Israel, he will with those nations. And I think this is the beginning part of that. This is an open door for those kinds of things to occur. There's several other nations. Maybe by year's end, we'll see some more activity maybe after the elections. I don't know if we will prior to that. But uh, if, um, 
the current administration stays in power, it looks like more nations will, will join what has just happened yesterday. And, and just, just keep watching. So what you'll see, a number of Arab nations, at least 10, there may be more, at least 10 will gang together and see the Antichrist will come and, and say, well, let's work together. It looks like there's, there's southern Arabic nations. Here's Israel, southern nations uh, on the southern tips of Israel and then nations over over uh, Israel in the northern sections. The book of Daniel says one day they're going to have a battle and then at some point uh, the Antichrist is going to bring them together. And that's that peace deal. So, you know, I think it, it may not be too far off that one day we see Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It says, then he, that is the person we call Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant or a treaty the margin says, with many for one week. And so uh, this is a precursor for that. How long this takes to, to, to form, um, we don't know. That's the unknown factor. It could happen as early as next year, or it could be several years in the making. But it looks like things are, are speeding up, and it's really interesting. At the same time as I get into teaching, I don't know how far I'll get tonight, but the spirit of Antichrist is so loose in the earth. This ideology of control that's been forced upon the American populace. We are a people of freedom. We love our freedoms, but we don't feel free right now. And the ideology behind that comes from the demonic influence from the Antichrist spirit. It gets quiet when I say that, 100% true. And so worldwide, people are upset because their freedoms are being challenged. That's previews, friends, of things to come when the Antichrist does take over and he rules certain nations, he doesn't have to rule every single nation. When the Bible says the whole world, it could be the whole world around the Middle East, around Israel. And that's where we don't know. And that's why I say it's important that you pray. And how many hear what I'm about to say? It's important that you vote. Don't vote your feelings. Don't vote what everybody says. Find out what the Bible says about the issues that are at stake and lay aside your personal agenda. How many hear what I just said? Some people look daggers at me when I say these things, but I'm a man of God and I'm a pastor and a leader. And I'm telling you, you will lose your freedoms if we don't do this right. I am, I'm telling you, I'll put 39 years of ministry on what I just said. I'll stake my whole adult life on what I just said. And people are acting like it don't, it does matter, my friend. And if you've not been voting, how many hear me? Vote. How many hear me? Did I just tell you who to vote? No, I did say seek God about who you vote. Boy, you better get it right this time. We'll stand before Jesus if we don't say, what'd you do? Why'd you hinder me? So anyway, enough said about that. Thank Jesus is coming back. And yesterday was just another, uh, that's just, just, uh, just another uh, tool in, uh, in uh, God's arsenal to, to let us know that that the world is changing and that Jesus is returning. So let's look at this. Uh, let's, let's catch up a little bit. I'm going to do this every time now. I came across this chart. It's really an awesome chart. It just surely shows uh, the end times and up at the top, the prophetic timetable from Daniel's 70th week. Again, I have to share this every time. The prophet Daniel was an amazing uh, figure in, in uh, Jewish history and really in the history of Christendom. And, and we have a lot to say to Daniel and you ought to thank him when you get to heaven that he sought God and, and, and that God revealed to him 490 years 
of Israel's existence uh, from the time of the Babylonian captivity, which was in full force when Daniel was alive, uh, all the way until, until Jesus comes back and we enter into the 1,000-year reign of Christ. God showed him 490 years of Israel's existence. 483 of those years were fulfilled when Jesus died and was raised from the dead. The, the Jewish clock stopped, and there's one week of seven years left. Seventy-sevens is literally what the book of Daniel chapter 9 says. So there's one week of seven years left on the Jewish calendar. And that's typically called, incorrectly called, the tribulation time. Uh, it's more accurately called Daniel's 70th week because it's God wrapping up history, God wrapping up the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God sealing the New Covenant, kind of sealing the deal, God cleansing the earth from all of his enemies and from the sin of the ages, uh, Satan being pl placed in the bottomless pit, eventually being judged placed in the lake of fire with the false prophet, the fallen angels and the demon spirits that have aggravated you silly all your life. That's their eventual end. So, you know, all that's in the book of Revelation. What's really cool here, let me just say there's a timeline in the book of Revelation and there's a sequence of events in the book of Revelation. If you'll read it that way, it'll make a lot of sense. Otherwise, there's not rhyme nor reason to what you're, what you're reading and you can't understand it. But, but it's really, really simple once you see the plan and pattern that God gave uh, John on the Isle of Patmos. So Revelation 1, Jesus appeared to John, said, write some things down. Revelation 2 and 3, um, uh, he had some messages to the churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, seven churches, and those messages are relevant to today and the pressures that we face today to compromise, to not give God our all, to acquiesce to the spirit of the age. He had some really strong things to say. Revelation chapter 4, uh, there's a scene, and John saw into heaven, saw the throne of God, and, and saw God as the sovereign creator of the universe. Uh, with all authority, all power, the angelic beings bowing down before him with a, with, with a, um, with a rainbow of colors all around his throne. And, and then Revelation 5, there's in God's right hand a scroll. And they didn't have uh, codex books the way we have where you turn the pages. They had scrolls they unrolled um, made out of papyrus or later on animal skins and such. And, um, and he had a scroll in his hand, and the scrolls uh, were sealed if they were really important. And if a scroll is sealed, it's only opened by the person who has the authority to open it. And in the first century, if a, a scroll had a couple of seals, two or three seals, that was a really important scroll, and only a certain person can open it. But here's a scroll in God's right hand in Revelation 5. It's got seven seals on it. That denotes this is one of the most important scrolls that's ever been created. And the seal, somebody's got to have the authority and power to open the scroll and then fulfill what's written inside of it when it's opened up. And all of heaven were searched through. There was no one in Revelation 5 found worthy to open this scroll. And then there was a, a, a slain lamb that stood up and he had blood on him. His name is Jesus. And he was found worthy. He began in Revelation 6, one at a time, to take the seals on that scroll and break them. 
And, it, and, and the scroll wouldn't open until the seventh seal was broken. So he's breaking the seals. And as he breaks the seals, Daniel's 70th week begins. Again, that 70th week starts with the signing of some kind of treaty. Again, listen to this. It's not necessary, I don't believe, that the Antichrist actually create a treaty. He just confirms, perhaps, what's already there. That's why this thing yesterday is so important. So once you see a man rise up, foment a number of the nations of the Arab world together in a league or alliance with Israel, a treaty, as it were, a covenant, as it were, that's the beginning of that, those seven years. And then Revelation chapter 6 Jesus is there, and he begins to break the uh, seals on the scroll in God's right hand, and that's the revelation of the Antichrist. Once that covenant is signed, the, the Antichrist reveals himself. He's riding on a horse. There are wars. There's a horse that typifies wars. There's famine. There's a horse that typifies famine. And this, uh, this seven years, uh, the first three and a half, it's called birth pangs in Matthew 24. Midway into this, there's a seven-year treaty that's entered into between the Arab world and the Israelites. And midway into that, the Antichrist shows his true colors and he turncoats. The, uh, the, uh, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt, a really simple temple, maybe like the tabernacle in the wilderness that was movable, really simple, probably on the Temple Mount. I've been on the Temple Mount. There are two mosques there now, and then there's the Wailing Wall on the other side, and uh, they'll build some simplistic temple, but he'll, and they'll be, the, the Jews, they won't be Christians, they'll be Jews, but they'll be providing animal sacrifices from that temple, and then and then he comes in and says, dudes, I don't want you to do that anymore. And he, and he, uh, he just uh, desecrates their temple, uh, maybe by bringing a pig in there and slaughtering it. Who knows? And basically says, you're not doing that anymore. And that's three and a half years into a seven-year period here. And right here, the midpoint is called the abomination of desolation. And uh, it's spoken of again in Daniel 9.27. And once that happens, uh, things change, and, and this, this is pretty tough. There's a lot going on during the first three and a half years, but the world is continuing, not unlike it has, with the exception of uh, instability, wars, famine, uh, earthquakes, things like that, that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. But when he turned coats on Israel, when the Antichrist does that, things begin to change, and, it, and Jesus turned this time the Great Tribulation. I'm saying this to... Get everybody on the same page so I can get into Revelation 11. So again, Jesus is continuing here to, um, to break the seals on the scroll. He breaks the fourth seal. Martyrs, death because of war. Martyrdom becomes extreme. Jews and Christians are seriously persecuted during this last three and a half years of that seven-year period. And so we've got, we got persecution in our future, and it's according to where you live on earth as to how serious the persecution is. You ought to thank God that you live in America and that you have freedoms. But we've got to guard our freedoms, and we've got to watch over them, or we could easily lose them, and then acquiesce to that Antichrist spirit 
that uh, is seeking to worldwide dominion. So martyrdom. And then the sixth seal is broken in the scroll in God's right hand. And something unusual happens. The sun loses its luster. It loses its shine. The moon, because the moon is a reflection of the sun, it doesn't shine very brightly at night. Then the stars are not illuminated at night. There's a cosmic disturbance of some kind. Now that shows that the rapture of the church is just about to happen. For those that are scholars and you're listening to what I'm saying, I believe in the pre-wrath rapture of the church, not the pre-tribulation rapture as many people espouse. No, I think a lot of people are thinking that Jesus is coming back any moment. I say we got a few years before he comes back. I hope I'm wrong, but if I'm not, you need to really, really bear down and hear me out. The pre-wrath rapture of the church, I've studied this out Theologically, it fits hand in glove with what you read in the Bible so easily and so simply. So anyway, when this sixth seal is broken right here um, and the sun, moon, and stars darken, uh, that's a sign to believers that the rapture is just about to occur. We get called out of here, Matthew 24, 29 through 31. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, the apostle Paul talked about it, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, starting with, I think, verse 51. So nonetheless, the rapture occurs right here. But this is a really intense time of persecution right after that three-and-a-half-year period when the, when the Antichrist desecrates the Jewish temple. Y'all, it gets really, really difficult. And there's some, uh, there's some, and you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. And then, and then before the seventh seal is broken, Revelation chapter seven, um, God takes 144,000 Jews, and I don't know how He does it, but He puts some kind of mark on them because they're going to go through uh, a really hard time towards the end of that seven years, called the Day of the Lord, wrath of God. They're not saved; they're not Christians. They won't go in the rapture, but God seals them so that none of the events that happen that I'm going to talk about in just a minute, that they don't kill them and they're able to be here. And then uh, Revelation chapter 7, there's a scene in heaven. At the end of Revelation 7, you see the raptured saints in heaven and we're worshiping the Lord. And there's, a, there's such a large multitude that, uh, that um, uh, John has never seen. So many people gang together. It's such a large multitude of people. Then Revelation Chapter 8, verse 1, the last seal on the scroll in God's right hand. Everybody with me? I got to do this, y'all. I know I've done it umpteen times, but you'll get it eventually. The seventh seal breaks, and, a tr and it, it releases trumpet judgments. Trumpets begin to blow. So Revelation 8, it gets really quiet. Nobody's moving in heaven, and all the angels have folded their wings. They're, they've shut their mouths, and everybody's watching in all of the prayers of all ages. Come up before God, where people have prayed, Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, let your will be done. And for 30 minutes, nothing. And then suddenly the ain't God says, do it. And that first angel begins to blow his trumpet. The saints are not on earth. This is when the day of the Lord. See right here it says the day. Of, this is when the day of the Lord begins. You'll go through the Bible. You'll frequently see the phrase, the day of the Lord. It's, the day of the Lord is when the wrath of God actually falls. Those that disagree with me, that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, 
The primary reason they believe that ideology and that theology is because they believe like I do that we're not subject to the wrath of God because Jesus took his wrath for us. Well, it's not the wrath of God in the first three and a half years of the tribulation or the, actually a little longer than that. First part of that seven year period, it's not the wrath of God, it's the wrath of man. And we are not immune from persecution persecution is the wrath of man. It's the anger of man against what we believe that is so, is so nearsighted, that is so hedged in, and they don't want to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. How many hear me? And so, again, um, <clears throat> this uh, first trumpet blows, that last seal is broken, silence in heaven, and the day of the Lord begins. The day of the Lord actually begins the time in that seven-year period that we call the wrath of God. That's the first time it falls. The church is already raptured. We've been raptured away. God's not appointed us to wrath. We're in heaven. You know, I don't know if we're going to be able to see it or not, but it'll be happening. So every time these trump, there's seven trumpets, one, two, three, four, five, Six trumpets in Revelation chapters eight and nine blow. And when they blow, horrible things happen. Nature literally turns against the inhabitants of the earth. Nature turns against the Antichrist and all of his emissaries. Nature turns against the demon spirits and fallen angels that are working with him. And God is heating the planet up saying, hey, you think that you can thumb your nose at my laws? You'll not do it anymore. I'm driving you out of here. And the trumpets begin to blow and the vegetation begins to die. And then the salt water, the fish begin to die. A third of the ships in the ocean uh, sink. And, and then uh, the, the fresh water is polluted. And so it's really hard. How many of you just last a few days without water? So a lot of people die. Maybe a third or more of the population of the earth dies during this horrible, terrible time of judgment called the day of the Lord. We're in heaven. I'm not talking about anything that we will experience if you know Jesus. If you don't know him, you'll be here. And it'll be hard as fill in the blank to make it here. I'm not joking. It'll be tough. So, uh, you know, the trumpet sound, the last two trumpets, trumpets number five and six, literally, this is what the scripture reveals in Revelation, demon spirits come up out of the earth and they begin to attack the people who have uh, entered into allegiance with the Antichrist. He makes them take a mark on their bodies so they can buy and sell. We'll talk about that in another lesson. And, uh, and then he, he begins to put sores on them. And then angels come out of the Euphrates River and they attack the people that are in allegiance with the Antichrist. It's a horrible time. I mean, you think about it like, sheesh, I don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. But if you've got family members, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, aunts, uncles, people that you work with, people you, that live around you that don't know Jesus, friend, they will be here and they may perish in hell how many hear me? That's the reason you need to know this stuff's going to happen. You can warn people, don't be here when this happens. Y'all, it's going to happen. Just as sure as the sun arrives in the morning, a little after 7 o'clock, friends, this is going to happen. You hear me? So uh, uh, seven trumpets blow, and we went through Revelation 8, 9, Revelation 10. We looked at this two weeks ago. Uh, a, a big angel puts one foot on the earth, one foot on the sea, and I did a big deal on it last time. His name is Jesus. Jesus literally puts his feet on the earth and reclaims what Adam and Eve gave away when they sinned. 
They gave the human authority that God gave the human race. They gave it away to Satan. Jesus comes and says, it belongs to me. Give it back and give it now. And uh, that's Revelation chapter 10. He's got a scroll in his hand. He gives it to John. The scrolls, the scrolls unrolled, a little small scroll. It's not like the big one in God's right hand. When he unrolls it, Revelation 11 happens, which brings me to tonight. So you, if our notes are online, you can go to page four all the way at the very bottom of page four. That's, far, that's how far I have already gotten here. And uh, if you'll go there, then we'll start there. And I want to talk about what's happening in Revelation chapters 11. Everybody with me? Did that make sense to you? Good. We won't get through tonight. I'll get through part of this. But I'm, again, I can't go fast with this. There's too much going on. And if you haven't been every single lesson, I have to catch everybody up. I think that's okay. Also, I want to mention, before I even start on Revelation 11, you got seven years that God revealed to Daniel. The very end of the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, there's an additional 75 days added on to the seven years. And during those 75 days, there are bold judgments that happen in Revelation 16. And they happen uh, in less than four weeks. And these bold judgments is where God literally cleanses the earth of all rebellious demonic forces. And the devil himself and the Antichrist. And he just, he does away with every bit of it. But it's during the first 30 days of these 75 days that this happens. And then there's 45 days in addition between the time the, the uh, Battle of Armageddon happens. We'll talk about that in Revelation 19. There's 45 days where God just kind of redoes the earth. The sun turns back up. The moon turns back up. The stars uh, begin to shine again. The air becomes normal. The foliage begins. The water is fresh. Everything's made new. There's a new heavens. There's a new earth. And we'll enter into the millennial reign of Christ. Is that cool? So, you know, again, so that's what's down here. There's, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's 1260 days from the time that the Antichrist uh, makes that, breaks his covenant with Israel all the way to the end of that seven-year period. It's 1260 days. And if you read Daniel 12, verses 11 and 12, there's an additional 30 days. And that's when these bold judgments happen. And we'll talk about that later. And then there are 45 more days of a restoration period of the earth. And then we enter into the 1,000-year reign of Christ. All that's in the book of Revelation. It's really exciting. So if you'll look with me in Revelation chapter 11. So Revelation chapter 11, the, um, uh, the scroll is opened up and, and John's reading it. And here's what's in the scroll, uh, Revelation. I'm just going to go right into this, Revelation 11.1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, that is the Lord Jesus, say, rise up and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. And Revelation 11.1 tells you clearly there's going to be another Jewish temple. There's not one in Israel now. It's 70 A.D., it was, uh, it was demolished by Rome under Titus, and uh, there's not been one there since then. And so for this Jewish temple to re be rebuilt is a really big deal. Just to let you know, you can Google this and find out. There are already all of the articles necessary for the true Jewish people. They're not Christians. They're Jews. They're not Messianic. 
but they have everything necessary, all of the ladles, all of the pots, all of the uh, utensils to, to make animal sacrifices to God again in a rebuilt temple. This temple will be re- rebuilt probably very rapidly during Jesus' time. That temple, it took about 40 years for that temple to be built. It was ornate, opulent, gaudy, gold, crazy. Uh, even the Herodian temple, it took years for, I mean, I'm sorry, Solomon's temple. It took years for that temple to be built. Not this one. It's very simple, very rustic. It's just there. And that's what this verse tells us. There was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. So again, the Jews are going to start with animal sacrifices again. Uh, during this time, again, we'll be in heaven. This is during the last three and a half years. And everything I'm going to read as far as I get tonight, everything I read is going to be the last three and a half of those seven years. You understand? And the Antichrist is turncoated. Man, life is tough on planet Earth. Everything bad has happened. The day of the Lord begins, and uh, here it is. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 11, he says, But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it's been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months or three and a half years. So this little watch says, so the last three and a half years, the Jewish temple will be there. He told John, don't you measure the outside of the court because it belongs to the Gentiles. Here's what you can read into that. It looks like... Um, Jerusalem will probably be divided and the temple mount where, where all this stuff is will be divided by the agreements that are going to be made in perhaps the not too distant future. And, uh, and the Gentiles will have control of a portion of Jerusalem, a portion of the temple mount. That's what you can read into that. Luke 21, 24 says, they were killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all of the nations of the world, speaking of the Jews. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And the period of the Gentiles comes to an end when Jesus comes back. And so that's the reason the verbiage says it that way. And again, so Gentile nations have ruled over Jerusalem, I mean, for millennia, y'all. I mean, so you got so many nations, and we're talking about uh, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, uh, the Mohammedan um, uh, uh, time during the Ottoman Empire, all of that. They ruled over uh, Jerusalem and, uh, and so that's the reason that he said don't measure that part of the temple because it's still under, under Gentile control. Verse 3, I will get, now this is really strange and I want you to understand what's happening. And then he says, and John is, is reading this on a scroll, he says, I'll give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, what in the world is that? Three and a half, the last three and a half years of this seven-year period. Everybody with me? The last three and a half starts when the Antichrist desecrates the rebuilt temple. That whole period, and, and we'll be here during the first part of that. You'll be here, you'll see the treaty signed. You'll see earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, famines, yada, yada. Perhaps in the Middle East, perhaps in other parts of the world. And, and you're gonna see these things and then... Uh, and so what I'm about to say is happening during this last three and a half years. And you're going to, listen, you're going to see this. I want you to know in Jerusalem, you're going to see it on TV. What happens? These two witnesses arise in Jerusalem 
and they prophesied. That is, they worked for God for three and a half years. The last three and a half years when the Antichrist becomes so diabolically mean and he kills Jews and kills Christians and he persecutes those that believe what we believe. They're going to be there and they're going to be a tremendous witness for God. And you're going to see this before the rapture. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to stir your soul. You're going to say, my Lord, look at that. Just what the Bible says is happening. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to be bold. I'm not going to kowtow to my flesh. I'm not going to listen to my culture. I'm going to listen to my God. Because he's put two witnesses in, in Jerusalem, the city of the great king. I'm going to obey him. Look at that. Look he there, we'd say in South Carolina. You get it? They're clothed in sackcloth. Their message is repentance. The Antichrist, he's a loose living dude. He believes any kind of lifestyle is okay. Judeo-Christian ethic is out the window. No such thing as male-female marriage only. There's marriage with anything. You can even marry children. You hear me? You can marry your dog or your cat. Y'all help me, Lord's right. It's a nasty time. It's a diabolically evil time. And then it's a time of, of, of this attitude controlling the world. And in the middle of that, you got two people saying, wait a minute. This is not right. That's not what God says. That'll lead you to hell. That'll hinder your life. That will hurt you now. Demon spirits will have their way in you. You won't know up from down, in from out, right from wrong, dark from light. Repent. Listen to Joel 1. Everybody with me? Got a few minutes to let me play a little bit here. Listen, to Joel 1. So, so you're looking at the last three and a half years. So, so timeline-wise, you know, once that treaty is agreed upon with the Antichrist and those nations gang together, and the Antichrist says, that's a good treaty, let's do it for seven years. Turn coach three and a half years into it. We're still here three and a half. That great tribulation where it's really hard and harsh, Maybe worldwide, maybe just in the Middle East. It's going to last about a year, maybe a year and a half. So let me say it. I said it again last week. Once you see the peace treaty in, uh, agreed to by the person the Bible calls Antichrist, you got about five years, five and a half years or so, and look for the sun and moon and stars to darken and Jesus to come back. How many hear what I just said? So we, that's why I say we got a while. We need to be getting our ducks in a row. We need to be walking with God and cleaning up. How many hear me? You get it? Then you've got the day of the Lord. That's where the wrath of God, these trumpets blow. That's about a, a space of about two years. Or maybe you really don't, you can't be concrete about it. Somewhere around two years or so. About two years, that's how long it'll take for those trumpets and all of hell to break loose during, it will be gone during that time. But this first part of this, when these witnesses come, we'll be here for this time. The prophet Joel gave us an insight on what the world will be like when these witnesses show up. It won't be a nice time. And so they're dressing in burlap sacks, which in Bible times denoted humility and repentance. Listen, everybody here, you with me? Dress yourself in burlap or sackcloth and weep. This is Joel 1.13, you priests. Wall, wail, you who serve before the altar. Come spend the night in burlap. 
you ministers of my God. For there is no gain or wine, grain or wine to offer at the temple of your God. Announce a time of fasting. Call people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. The day of the Lord is near, the day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. And that's Revelation chapters 8 and 9 when the trumpets blow. You get it? Our food disappears before our very eyes. No joyful celebrations are held in the house of our God. The seeds die in the parched ground and the grain crops fail. The barns stand empty. Granaries are abandoned. How about the animals? They moan with hunger. The herds of cattle wander confused because they have no pasture. The flocks of sheep and goats bleat in misery. Lord, help us. The fire has consumed the wilderness pastures. Flames have burned up all the trees. Even the wild animals cry out to you because the streams have dried up. And fire has consumed the wilderness pastures. Now that's a horrible sounding event right there. That's Revelation chapters 8 and 9 when it looks like meteorites finally hit the earth. They've been talking about it. We got movies about it. It really happens, y'all. And it decimates the the foliage. It decimates the uh, salt water, fresh water. And then it changes the environment of the skies. That's what he's saying. And during this time, the, uh, the two witnesses will be prophesying and they'll be showing the ways of God to a world that's become totally wicked. The salt and light will have been removed once the rapture occurs. We'll hear, re-hear at the very beginning of these two witnesses' ministry. So who are these people? The Bible really doesn't say. Again, uh, Revelation 11 verses four through six. These are the two olive trees. Watch this. And the two lampstands, it calls these two witnesses, olive trees and lampstands, I'll show you why, before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemy. And I'd like to see that. I don't think they use mouthwash. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the day of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And I'm gonna stop right here, but I'm gonna make a comment on this scripture and I'll just conclude here. Why are, are two olive trees and lampstands mentioned? And they have, some, they have some supernatural powers about them. Why? Well, you get an insight from the prophet Zechariah Chapter four, first six verses. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it. See, lamps and olive trees. Uh, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this was written during a time that Israel had just come out of 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Persia had, had, uh, had acquired Israel. They allowed the Israelites to go back into Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah at the time. 
And, uh, and then uh, Joshua, the, a guy named Joshua, no kidding, was, was a priest, a high priest during that time. And, 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 and Zechariah is literally talking about Zerubbabel and the guy working with him. And they stood for the power of God. See, the Israelites had been in bondage for 70 years in Babylon. And they were going to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And the guy said, I've been working out, dude. We can lift, we can lift those rocks. Man, we can, we can put mortar up. We're tough and stuff. And, 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 and Zerubbabel and Joshua kept saying, you won't do it by yourself. You got to have God's help. You won't do it by yourself. You're not smart enough and wise enough. You need God's help. You've been away from this land for 70 years. You need God's help, not by might, not by power, by my spirit. These witnesses in a similar way, when the Antichrist is doing his thing, three and a half years into his rule, when he gets really, really mean, they're in Jerusalem saying, hey, listen here, there is a God who has power, he has authority, he's bigger than you, he's stronger than you, what you're saying's wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're not doing it right, they have the power to keep it from raining, they can speak and people die, and everybody's afraid of them. So who are these guys? Well, the scripture does not reveal the identity, but we do have some clues. For instance, Matthew 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That is, Jesus began to glow from the inside out. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Some people believe that it's Moses and Elijah that are reappearing on earth. Why do they think, and it, it may be, we can't be completely, you know, um, staunch about it, but we can say it may be true. Um, Moses represents law. Elijah represents the power of God. Did you hear me? And they show up during this terrible time, three and a half years into the Antichrist's reign. These two witnesses are sharing the gospel, compelling people to repentance during this terrible reign of the Antichrist. It's quite a contrast going on during the time. Um, I want you to notice what the Antichrist is doing. So these guys rise up right after the Antichrist turncoats against Israel and the church. And notice what the Bible says about the Antichrist. Revelation 13 is also talking about these last three and a half years. We'll get into it later. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. The beast is the Antichrist. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted to do for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and conquer them. And he was given authority uh, to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. Again, that's speaking perhaps hyperbole, an intended exaggeration to make a point. It could be just the Middle East or it could really be the whole world. That's what we really are not completely sure about. But as to the identity of these two witnesses, it could be Moses and Elijah. Why do I say that? Elijah, 2 Kings 10, uh, 1, 10 through 12, called down fire. Did he not? Upon the prophets of Baal. I mean, he did. Well, these prophets called fire down from heaven. Uh, they had, uh, Elijah had power to stop rain, 1 Kings 17, 1. I've got it in the notes. And also, they had power to bring plagues on the earth. 
uh, to pollute the water and turn it into blood and to produce all sorts of plagues just like Moses did in the book of Exodus chapters 7 through 11. So many Bible uh, commentators believe it could be Elijah and Moses. That's my default. It may or may not be true. It makes sense to me. Nonetheless, during this time, uh, they're going to be there. Can I go a little bit further? Y'all want me to quit? Egg me on then. Verse 7. I'm about, I'm really, I'll, I'll quit pretty quick. When, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. For three and a half years, these guys are ministering. And they're ministering a message of repentance, purity, holiness. I mean, you got to understand, the Antichrist is rank. I mean, any sin is okay. Now listen to me. If you're living today, I want to ask you a question. Have you polluted your life? If I enter into the flesh and do what the culture right now says is okay, I have polluted my life. And it's literally the spirit of Antichrist that I've allowed to invade my being. If I lie, if I cheat, if I am immoral, I'm allowing the spirit of, if I'm watching porn, if I'm homosexual, lesbian, fornicating, sex outside of marriage with anything that walks, that, my friends, is the spirit of Antichrist. And that has entered into America today. How many hear me? Now, it's only going to get worse, and the time will come. The salt and light are gone. We're raptured out. Once the salt's removed, the light's removed, there's nothing but darkness. Anything goes. And that's what you see during the reign of the Antichrist. And because of that, God says, I'm going to put two lights. I'm going to put two olive trees, and I'm going to put two lampstands in Israel, right in Jerusalem. And the Antichrist can't touch them until they're done with their ministry. When their ministry's finished, he kills them. How many hear what I just said? So again, you'll be here during the first part of their ministry. And then, you know, probably once that three and a half year turn coating of the Antichrist, the desecration of the temple, figure a year, maybe a year and a half, we'll be here and you'll see the witnesses. You'll hear about them. You'll hear about them on the news. You know, some news broadcasts won't say anything about it because they won't say anything about stuff they don't like. They won't tell real truth. But you'll hear about it some. And then the rapture occurs, and y'all, and then, then it really, really, really gets bad. But they'll be here during that time. And then it says, verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street in the great city, which spiritually, now, here, I'll just stop with this, spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, this is really interesting. As I conclude, their dead bodies, that is, these witnesses die, and they're laying in the street for three days. Why? Well, Jews, a lot of cultures are this way. You don't desecrate a dead body. You revere the dead. I leave them out there and let them stink. Let the flies eat them. Let the worms come. Let the birds come and pick. And let them just stink. And everybody's laughing. I want you to see how bad it is. And so it says the dead bodies will lie. These two witnesses will lie in the street of the great city. Now, now, he calls it the great city aligning Jerusalem with Babylon the Great, which in the Bible was a 
Babylon was a terrible place. Babylon is the beginning of heathen religions. Babylon's the beginning of all that is nasty in the human race. And he aligns Jerusalem with Babylon. So Babylon in the Bible, and I've got it in the notes, I won't take time to read it. It's called the great city. And that's why he calls Jerusalem the great city because he's aligning it with a nasty place called Babylon. Babylon the great. Then he says which spiritually is called Sodom. Why was Jerusalem, the city of the great king, called Sodom? Because of the rampant immorality that was allowed all over the world. And it was allowed in Jerusalem because the Antichrist was there. And he said, you do anything you want to do in your bedroom with anybody you want to. And I dare anybody to say anything about it. And the witnesses were saying, you're in sin. You need to repent. He killed them. Then it says... It's also called Egypt. What is Egypt known for? Well, the Israelites were in slavery for 400 years in in Egypt. They couldn't do what they wanted to do. They had to do the will of their taskmaster. And that's what the Antichrist is going to be like. It's kind of like you feel now with this worldwide lockdown. You don't like it, but you can't do a thing about it. Right? Spirit Antichrist, my friends. So Jerusalem, again, is called the great city, aligning it with Babylon, which was a terrible place. And then it's called Sodom in Egypt, which also crucified our Lord. And so I'll start back next time with uh, Revelation 11, verse 9. Did you get something out of that? So here's the skinny. here's, Here's what I want to leave you with. Number one, number one. Instead of worrying about what's happening right now, we ought to be excited that Jesus is coming back. Are you? Now, here's, here's, here's what, as I study this thing, God's got you. He knows this stuff's coming. You can't stop this stuff from happening. But you know what? God's got a plan to take care of us in the middle of it. We dwell in the secret place of the Most High. The Lord is my shepherd. I will want for nothing. Is that good news? So that's what we got to keep our mind on. God's, God's going to make a way for us, y'all. And the other thing is we need to be telling our friends about Jesus. Every opportunity that God opens the door. You don't have to speak King James English. Just be yourself, be loving, be kind, but be real. And when they see a smile on your face, when you ought to have a frown and gloom, what is it? And you say, well, you know, Jesus set me free from my sin and he's taking care of me today. Well, how do you know that? And just enter into conversation with them. Friends, we need to be witnesses for Jesus right now. How many hear me? Start praying for the people in your families. Pray for your brothers, your sister, your your immediate family, and then your extended family, your friends, your coworkers. They're going to go to hell without without knowing Jesus, y'all. And, you know, America has lost its evangelism. How many hear me? Let's wake it up in our own lives. Secondly, just be aware that, and it just helps me, just knowing that God is sovereign You know, nobody's liked the year 2020, but you know what? We're going to make it through this and we're going to be okay because we've got some grand things ahead of us. That's what it ought to to make us know. And then lastly, I pray this every morning when I get up. I pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. What Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you pray that every day, you know what? In Revelation 8, where, where a vial is opened with the prayers of the saints of all ages for his kingdom to come, your voice will be heard by God the Father. Oh, he was on, she was on her knees. He was on his knees praying. Look at there. I'm going to answer Andrew's prayer. I'm going to answer Mira's prayer. I'm going to answer Cameron's prayer. Isn't that cool? 
You'll get something out of it.